talkradio.nyc. Welcome to At Home. I'm David Thiergartner, professional interior designer and owner of David Thiergartner Interiors right here in Manhattan. On tonight's show, Someone's in the Kitchen, we will be discussing Kitchen Basics 101, Kitchen Aesthetics, and some good old-fashioned stories from the kitchen table with our very special guest, Anthony Majiri, kitchen designer and owner of East Hill Cabinetry in White Plains. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. Seems to me that I hear music coming through the kitchen door. I hear Dinah washing china, but I never heard the song before. Someone's in the kitchen with Dinah. Someone's in the kitchen, I know. Someone's in the kitchen with Dinah, strumming on the old banjo. Dinah didn't make no pudding, didn't make the apple pie. Cause she's pitching in the kitchen with the apple of her eye. I am almost positive. I am almost sure. I, <laughs> I thought that was a cute little ditty about Dinosaur. I, I swear to God, Dinosaur, you know, the female vocalist from the 50s when I was a kid, she had a talk show. I had no idea it was about some woman having an affair with this guy who was eating her pie. But I gotta tell you, I think I was a bit naive. Okay, well, hopefully. <laughs> we all have wonderful stories about our family's kitchen, and I don't think that they all include gentlemen callers. But for me, well, I used to love sitting on a stool next to my grandmother as she peeled apple after apple, filling up her old white fashion sink with a pile of curly red pills. Well, we talked about all kinds of things, hundreds of stories about her life, her childhood, and so many things long before I was even thought of. To this day, I can remember her love and her joy. Kitchens are most certainly the center of our homes and the center of our lives. Or, as my dear friend Janine calls her kitchen, the campfire. We have been gathering around a stove or a fire pit for millennia, sharing stories, feeding our soul, and all the while we're feeding our bodies. These cooking areas, these fire pits, have naturally caused people to gather towards the primary source of heat, light, safety, and of course food forever. Doesn't the campfire seem apropos? Because coming in from the rain, coming in from the snow, and protecting ourselves from the wolves is truly the beginning of interior kitchens and kitchen design. Oh, wait a minute. I forgot. I forgot to say, figuring out how to bring in piped water from the outside, that's an important one. Dealing with that nasty problem of interior smoke. I still have that problem today. Oh, and the big one. Learning how not to burn down the whole village or the city. Well, these are important achievements in the advancement of kitchens. All of that leads us to our conversation tonight about kitchens and kitchen designs. So, 
I thought I'd bring you some fun fact. Did you know that Leonardo da Vinci invented a mechanical system for the first automatic rotisserie? Or this Frenchman, Nicolas Apol, invented canned food in 1810. But guess what? It took almost 45 years for someone to invent the can opener. Or how about this? In the United States in 1834, the first residential Oberlin stove became a commercial success and sold 90,000 units before the Civil War. And most importantly, as we get ready to talk to Anthony, that in 1890, you could buy the first prefabricated kitchen from a German company called Pogenpol. They are still in business to this day. There's a wonderful book called Hidden Kitchens. And NPR, NPR the radio station, picked it up as a series on their morning edition broadcast. It's a fascinating discovery of kitchens in the oddest places and for the most unusual reasons. Kitchens at nuclear test sites, traveling circus kitchens, <laughs> my favorite hippie kitchens at fish concerts, or makeshift kitchens at auto racing pit stops. Not terribly sure how that works. In Detroit, a midnight kitchen was established for late night cabbies. You can get homemade Brazilian food right there on the street at 3 a.m. And my favorite, during the civil rights bus boycotts, a woman named Georgia Gilmore and the club from nowhere created secret kitchens and beauty parlors in Birmingham, Alabama. They sold pies and cakes to raise money for gas and station wagons to take people back and forth to work during the bus boycotts in 1955 and 1956. Here in Manhattan, we have soup kitchens. We actually have 161 soup kitchens and food pantries. An estimated 1.4 million New York City residents rely on emergency food programs each and every year. The demographics are startling. One out of five New York City children rely on food pantries or soup kitchens. 20% of seniors are food insecure. Three out of 10 New York City veterans are in need of food or food services. So, kitchens are important for so many reasons. I was so inspired by the hidden kitchen stories that I wanted to reach out to my friends and my families about their stories of their childhood kitchens or their childhood memories. My friend Carson wrote back and said, my kitchen was wood, blue and white tile. It wasn't the center of the family activity, but most of the important conversations happened there. My friend John wrote me to say, eh, it was pretty small, probably only 15 feet by eight feet wide. All seven of us ate there every night in a U-shaped booth. Tom said, my favorite part of my childhood kitchen was the red printed wallpaper and the red faux tile linoleum floor. <laughs> Lynn had so many wonderful thoughts about her kitchen, she wrote this. 
I remember lots of laughter and celebration around the kitchen island. My kids rewriting my grocery list and the Sunday comics. A huge basket of bread filled with plastic bags of rye, sourdough, and wheat. And sometimes a loaf of cinnamon bread, which didn't stay in the basket for very long. At night, I would drop a couple slices into the toaster and everyone would suddenly appear for a bedtime snack. And finally, my friend Paula from California wrote this. My childhood kitchen was a typical galley style in our mid-century 1953 built home. A window right above the kitchen sink faced outside to the front of the house. And from there, it felt like you could see the whole world. When we come back, we're going to talk turkey with Anthony Marjusi from East Hill Cabinetry. Take a quick look at Instagram of my grandparents' Thanksgiving feast in 1934 Chicago. This is At Home, and I'm David Thiergartner, and we'll be back in two minutes. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, the Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Who do you want to connect with? Are you an entrepreneur or intrapreneur looking to build your following? Welcome to our show. Follow Me Friday with Joan and Priya. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern on talkradio.nyc. We're, We're your digital, digital connectors. connectors. Woo hoo! <laughs> <laughs> Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. And we're back. I want to welcome Anthony Marucci from East Hill Cabinetry. Anthony, I'm so glad you're here with us today. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me, David. I appreciate it. We're happy that you're here. You may know, or certainly my listeners do, that I have this ongoing pursuit or quest for beauty. So my first question to everybody always is, what is your definition of beauty? That's a great question. Everybody says that. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think you can... I don't think you can calculate beauty. I don't think there's a criteria for beauty. I see beauty, beauty is an emotion. Beauty is a reaction. And I find things beautiful that, that, that hit me. I react to beauty. 
And I think that's what, what fills the world with, with, with beauty. Sunsets, um, great design invokes beauty, whether it's people sometimes that you find beautiful or, or things or events or, or just uh, moments, whether it's your family or friends. I think that's where beauty comes from. So, of course, we were talking about your three-and-a-half-year-old daughter. I'm thinking perhaps that might be one of your beautiful moments. Yeah, I find so much beauty in her and in simple things and, 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 and uh, amazing things. And, and I have a ten-and-a-half, a ten-month-old son as well. Right. And it's, it's amazing how much beauty you find in your own home. That's right. In, in simple moments. Well, and yeah. so that's the next question. So specifically, <laughs> what in your home uh, do you think beautiful? And maybe you've already answered that yeah, question. Yeah, aside from my children, my beautiful wife. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's so hard. It's like picking your favorite child, right? I'm a designer. I design kitchens. And it may be a little cliche to say the kitchen that my wife and I did. But uh, I'd, I'd say the island in our kitchen. Because not only are the materials nice and, uh, of course, the cabinetry, um, <laughs> but that's where we live our life. That's where we have dinner. That's where our friends gather. That's where our families gather. That, that's where uh, most of the uh, beautiful moments in our life happen. So I'd probably say the, the kitchen and the island in the kitchen. Well, that's pretty wonderful. So that's thank lovely. You. And thank you for that. And thank you for answering that question. Um, we're going to talk about islands, believe it or not, and, right. on this kitchen show today, tonight. Um, but I wanted to ask you before we got into the nitty gritty of kitchen design and all the hardcore uh, stuff about cabinetry. Can you, you know, do you remember your childhood kitchen? What, what was that like? I do. Um, my parents bought a home from a builder, uh, late 80s, early 90s. And uh, it's not the materials so much that jump out of you because it's all formica and, and, and builder grade stuff. Um, I remember the gatherings in the kitchens. I think they were uh, the four of that trend of, of living in the kitchen. We had dinner there every night. They entertained a ton. Um, and I remember the moments in the kitchen more than I remember the particular kitchen itself. And then the same for my grandparents' kitchen. Um, it wasn't. Their kitchen was five by five, maybe, but which in a child's mind, I'm sure it's right. a little bigger. Um, but yeah, it's really the moments and the times that, that we had there, the people you got to spend time with in the kitchen. And that kind of influenced the way I look at my uh, profession, uh, more about the, the time with people versus the, the focus on the materials. And that gets into design, and we're going to talk about that. I wanted to share just a little bit of my childhood kitchen for a second because I didn't have a chance to do that. But it's funny that you said that about emotion and family because, honestly, what I remember about my childhood kitchen is my parents always did the dishes together, and my parents used to dance in the middle of the kitchen floor together. And as a child, to watch that and see that, that partnership and that love and that dedication to each other is one of the great memories of my life. And that's not a story about cabinets or, it's or marble versus granite. That's, that's life, right? It's and most of the feedback you had from your friends who, in the earlier segment, that's most of the memories were the time they spent with their family. So we're really just providing the stage <laughs> for right. life to uh, take place and show all of its beautiful colors. That's a good design. So let's talk about that. All right. Let's see how we can allow that to happen or make that happen for everybody else. So kitchen basics. You know, I think that it's so important to define the mission statement of your kitchen before you start, right? Would you agree with me that coming into your shop, your showroom, getting ready to talk to you about your the new kitchen, that would be an important sort of statement for them to 
to say to you. Exactly right. That's our goal when we sit down with our clients for the first time is just to get an understanding of their goals, but how they want to live in the space. And a lot of times clients won't come with, um, we have to probe for those questions. You do. They'll come with pictures from websites and my girlfriend did a painted white kitchen or I want to do, I don't want to do a marble countertop. So come with uh, material requests. Um, but you have to spend a little time to get out of them how they expect to live in that kitchen on a day-to-day basis, on a, a holiday basis, or, or like on a special, do you entertain a lot? Um, do you have a family? How do you live with your family? Or how are you living in the kitchen now if you've been in the home, and what's it not doing for you? Which is always good. I think always not knowing what, always not knowing what it's not doing for you, is that a double negative? Or um, what you don't like is always helpful. But I think we both have the same challenge. A lot of people, you and I have done, I don't know, you've done hundreds of kitchens, I've done dozens and dozens of kitchens, so we're prepared to sort of work that through. But if you're new and this is your first kitchen coming through, how do you help them acquire the answer to those questions? How do you focus them about that? We spend more time in our meetings with our clients, um, especially at the start or, or the start of a relationship, less about technical details. Where's the cutlery? Where's the dishwasher? How are we treating the corner? Um, I, we just try to get to know them. And I look through the lens of my family um, growing up, my current family specifically, um, to think about what parts of life happen in the kitchen do they both cook? Assuming there's a partnership. Do they cook? Do they? Is it a two-cook situation? How often do you entertain? Um, do your children have friends over often? What do we need this kitchen to do for us? What would be the ideal uh, setup that you could live the life that you want to live? Um, so we try to spend more time probing those, um, those notes first to understand them and then integrate that into our design as we move forward from there. Yeah, I think that's so crucial and so important to the success of the new kitchen. I know for me, on my first, our first kitchen, um, you know, we basically ordered Chinese food. <laughs> so we were, we were answering the door. I'm not sure what the kitchen did other than provide the surface uh, to eat the, eat the Chinese food. But uh, I think those are always really important questions. And certainly... There's a lot of people who use their kitchen for entertainment. There's a lot of people who actually cook in their kitchen every day. And maybe, as you were saying, two or three people are doing that every day. So we have to allow for the workspace and for all of that to happen. So let's, down, let's run down the essential list. Let's just kind of clear the air here and go, let's talk about quality of cabinets, right? And, and how people should understand that and, and how they can... Um, uh, allow certain cabinet qualities to work into their budget. Right. Um, you know, there are three elements to most cabinets that are constructed. One is the box of the cabinet, so that's those hidden walls that you don't see. Um, ideally, you'd like those to be plywood because they're going to hold up just a lot longer. They're going to give you a better life of the cabinetry. Um, if you turn around the house in a short period of time, uh, maybe it's you're going to flip it or maybe you're close to moving out. That's something that's hidden. That might be a place where you can save as you won't be experiencing the longevity. If we're looking for longevity, we would like it to be plywood. Um, that's a base level. Once you hit that, even if it's a half inch thick versus three quarters, to get a little technical, um, that will last you a life. The face of the cabinets, whether it's a, a framed or a frameless cabinet, um, ideally we're working with solid wood. Again, it's, it's going to take paint very well. and It's going to um, last a lot longer. Some aesthetics... Uh, 
if you're doing a flat door, a more contemporary door, you're not going to have that option, and that's okay. We'll find other materials. Um, but again, look, working with a solid wood door and a solid center panel is just going to add life to the cabinetry, and it's going to uh, take the stain or paint a lot better. Um, third, and I think really most important, is the finish of the cabinetry. We do a lot of painted cabinets, as you can imagine. We don't actually use paints. Um, we want to use uh, like a conversion varnish or a uh, enamel paint with a baked on finish um, if we're going to do a factory cabinet or we do a lot of site finishes now with a really um, hard drying enamel that's going to last for a really long time it's not going to color it's not going to bubble um, now a misnomer we have with our clients the cabinets can ship even the most durable finishes can ship because the density is less than some of the tools you use in a kitchen you want to think of it like a car right you drive off the lot it's not any more or less susceptible to scratching or chipping if it's brand new or five or ten years old. So you want to be delicate with these cabinets, but a really good finish um, is going to stand the test of time. It's going to stand the beating that you're going to give the kitchen. Um, and that's where I think that's the last place I'd want to save. Right. That has to be of high quality. That's the most important part most of the important. Kitchen. Let's just talk for a second because I got this question just, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago from a client. Do you, do you or did I have a certain finish that I thought was more durable or didn't always show the dirt so much? And, you know, I paused for a second because we do do painting cabinets a lot. But if I had to answer that truthfully, I would say a wood stained cabinet front doesn't always show the dirt or the dust as quickly as a painted cabinet. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'd say further, uh, the dings and dents and scratches that you're going to get in a cabinet, it'll be the same painted or stained. Um, you don't notice it in stain because you're going to see wood grain. It's a little it's, more forgiving. It's forgiving. You could fill it in with the, uh, you know, a, a good painted cabinet. You could hold that up to the light and you'll see a glass-like finish. The moment you scratch that and fill that, you're going to see the discrepancy. You're not going to hold it up to the light naturally when you're living in it every day. Um, but that stained wood cabinet, you can fill that. You can color it in. They give you, usually the factories give you a crayon, but you could color it in with a Sharpie if it's dark. Um, an actual crayon, one of my daughter's crayons. Right. And uh, you're not going to notice the discrepancy there. So that's true. You'll, you'll get away with a lot more um, of the sins in the kitchen. Yeah, the sins of the kitchens, right. right? They get beat up and have a lot of grease and dirt around it, right? Which I think is one of the problems with yeah, it. Absolutely. One of the other things that came up is I had a friend say, um, God, you know, I fell in love with the shaker style for, you know, everybody on the radio. That's sort of the more 90 degree clear edge sort of thing. But the dust always lands on that edge and I'm constantly wiping the bottom edge of that. So you can in making your new kitchen decide on what sort of style works to prevent as much dirt as possible yeah every lifestyle and every uh, set of priorities is different we have um one of our factories came out with a new product that's fingerproof resistant just to fit those clients who don't want to see it um what i'd say about the dirt and dust and grease is that really an appliance conversation most in most older homes the hoods don't work very well they're older their filters haven't been cleaned they may not be exhausted outside um one of the first things I hit my clients is, please, let's do a good hood and let's use it. Because we'll keep the grease off those cabinets and nothing's going to stick. You'll still get your everyday it's dust. so good. It, it, yeah, it's one of the most um, basic thoughts. But I found 
um, an unscientific poll, 90% of people don't use their hoods at all. That's so good because I have a question further down going, Anthony, give us a couple secrets. And that is dead on. A perfect one. Get good ventilation. Yeah. Make sure you turn the... Use it. Use it's it. It's noisy. They're good now. They're um, better. They're so much better now. And it's not like a fridge or a range where you'll spend a ton to upgrade. You can really get a really good quality um, exhaust at a really reasonable... And in New York, when we can't always vent out, even the recirculating ones have improved, I would say, dramatically in the Absolutely. last five years. Yeah. So, yes, get it, use it, make it work for yourself, and that will take care of a lot of the problems with the finishes. Absolutely. Let's get into the interiors, because I think that's so fun, right? I mean, all the different magic... Uh, oh, yeah possibilities that the interiors can have of course we're talking about silverware drawers the obvious thing is soft clothes gotta have soft clothes if you don't know what soft clothes is run to your cabinet uh, kitchen cabinet company and look but you want that but all of the other things like um, lazy Susans and how they've improved so much over the last few years yeah you know um, you, you mentioned lazy Susans when we're dealing with corners it's always those a challenge those dead corners you know so much cubic square feet there it's, a, it's tough and you, your base cabinets are deeper than your upper cabinets so when they meet in a corner um, it could be a 2x2 two by two square 2x2x3 by, two by two by right wherever the 12 cubic feet that's right how about that yes nice um, no calculator so uh, nobody yeah, checked the math working with those corners are challenging we do um, we do super Susans now Not, no longer lazy it's on a fixed shelf it's got a really strong um, mechanism so things don't wobble I find those to be the best use of that bad situation because they don't intrude as much on the um, other elevations meaning the runs of cabinetry that come off of that um, we do corner drawers Yes. Which lose a little bit of storage. Um, I test drove these in my kitchen, and uh, it's a less cubic storage, but it's mu and it's a funky um, storage solution. I think we have some pictures. Um, you'll probably find them on the internet quite easily. But it's just easy. It rolls out. We can put all the mixing bowls in there. Um, so that's another way to treat a corner that works really well. And uh, you know, a lot of our clients will come request um, blind corners or those magic swing outs. We kind of want to stay away from those unless we need them. Um, because they intrude on the other elevations. So while the Lazy Susan doesn't really intrude as much on the good space that we have, those blind corners do. So we try to use those selectively. There's some other wonderful things like the KitchenAid. Uh, what do you call that? The way that the, it comes, the lift, the right? Lift, that it absolutely. Comes so if you don't have one of those, you have to have. If you use your mixer, absolutely. You have to have, you have, to have a KitchenAid yeah. lift. It's nice. And, and what's nice of it is the KitchenAid lives in that cabinet. There's a plug in it. You lift it up. You work right on the lift. It's a really strong. Um, I'm a relatively big person. It's hard for me to bring that. I had to bring it up this morning for my wife. Um, it's a big, heavy appliance. So this is light. It takes all the weight for you. It's a really nice mechanism. Terrific. When we come back, we're going to be cooking up some more with Anthony. Clever, right? Isn't that like clever? It. Yep. Um, take a look at his website, easthillcabinetry.com, and we'll be back.
You are listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you into comics, movies, and pop culture at large? What about music and TV? Then you're in for a treat. This is Michael Dolce, your host on TalkingAlternative.com. I've been professionally writing comic books, screenplays, and music articles for almost 15 years. Catch my show, Secrets of the Sire, at its new primetime slot, Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and get the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. For more info, go to SecretsOfTheSire.com. Are you feeling unhappy with your body, shape, or size? Ever feel out of control with food? I'm Elizabeth Tripp, your host of Nourish the Soul. Join me to uncover the root to these imbalances and discover a permanent solution to living a healthy life. Join us every Wednesday at my new time, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Anthony, we have so much to talk about, so let's get right into it. I want to hit islands and peninsulas because you brought that up, talking about your own family. I think islands are crucial today. I know that that trend started about 20 years ago. Just give us the basics. What are the the major components for the best possible island? Well, you know, the best thing we can do when we're planning an island is... um fit it within the architecture of the kitchen. So that's what we're starting with. The size and shape is going to be dictated by the passageways on um, the other work areas in the kitchen. And, and there's, um, we have standards that we all live by, right? Exactly Passages right. are minimum 36 inches. You never want to do it. 42 is optimal. 48 is um, generous, exactly right? Exactly yeah. right, yes. So then the island configures itself to that plan. Exactly right. right. And it depends on where we're going to put the other elevations of the kitchen, too. Sometimes we'll leave walls bare with the intention of getting an island in there. Um, so once we have that footprint of the island laid out, we got to see if there's any other work centers we need to place. So when I mean a work center, um, sink, cooktop, or range, um, the things that we're going to stand in front of them work. Um, so we'll possibly incorporate those into the island in the, in the right space. It's a really nice thing to have. Um, I find in my own kitchen, we have our sink and our range on opposite walls. My back's to the people at the island when I'm cooking, if we're entertaining. Interesting. Um, so sometimes that's a conversation we have. Do you like to entertain? Is the island big enough to a, accommodate a cooktop and still have people seated comfortably? Um, but once we get past those, place those items, um, the rest of it is just function. We're going to prep at the island. We're going to eat often at the island, and a lot of times we use the island for staging. So often we'll put plates, bowls below the counter in the island, maybe our cutlery on the island. Um, some of our clients like a prep sink, so we'll put that on the island with a disposal so you can chop and scoop it right into there. Sometimes even a separate garbage can for, uh, 
prep work for recyclables and um, and regular garbage. Exactly and all right. That. Yeah. Because when you think about the kitchen, um, depending on you know, every room is different, of course, where we have openings or windows. Um, you're going to do most of your prep work on the island because you're going to have the choice of working in front of a cabinet, twelve inches in front of your face. Or standing at the island facing out to the rest of your home and the rest of your friends and family, right? right. Or the TV uh, to entertain you. Um, so 90% of the time, we're going to gravitate to working on that island. So we want to give you um, something beautiful to look at, a lot of space to work with, maybe room for two chefs, a chef and a sous chef. Sous chef. And sous chef. I'm the sous chef. Are you the sous chef? Um, sometimes, yeah. Uh, I don't take direction very well, but uh, I, I try. I hustle. Um, so we want to give as much workspace as we can and access to the things that we're going to want to use. If we do a knife block, uh, Island's a great spot for that because that's where we'll chop a lot. I, um, I guess through all the years, have kind of decided what I think Island should have and should not have. I am totally against the stovetop, range top being on the island. Mm -hmm. I just, it doesn't work for me. Um, I think there's a, could be possibly with young kids, a safety issue with that. Of course. Um, I think that um, I don't always like the hood coming out of the middle of the stove because I think it's a wonderful opportunity for beautiful lighting, right? Right. And then ultimately, um, I think trying to decide what the focal point of the kitchen mm. is, right? I think that's really important. We can talk about Absolutely. that for a, for a moment. But I like ranges and the hoods to be um, the focal point. That's my favorite. Of course, if there's a beautiful window and a sink underneath it, that's the other one. But ranges and hoods, that's like the fireplace of the family room inside the kitchen, right? There's a, yeah. a warmth and a, and a beautiful criteria that happens with all of that. So... I don't like that so much on on the island. I do like islands as, uh, I don't know, center stage theatrical. Right. right. In other words, somebody sitting across from me and I'm prepping or I'm cleaning something and I'm the conversation continues. I'm having fun. I'm pouring a glass of wine or, you know, giving the kids food, whatever. Yeah. There's an interaction that I love about that. And I think islands can be a crucial element of that. Absolutely. And if you think about what's going on behind the island, you know, we're always going to have the seating outside of the work area. So you mentioned two other dramatic things in a kitchen, which are usually the windows or the hood. Um, that's the backdrop for the person working in the kitchen. That's what's behind you, that beautiful, that beautiful hood and range or that beautiful view. That's what it, people are going to see when they're looking at you prepping. Your kids are going to see looking at you prepping is the, are those beautiful focal points we've created behind you. So it really does work well. A, a center stage is a really good uh, description for the, the space we're trying to create. Yeah, right? I think so, too. And I've seen it. I saw it on Sunday. I have a friend who just, like, takes over, and the island's happening, and the drinks are being passed out, and the doors are being passed out, and I always get a big kick out of that, and it's always a lot of fun. Um, You know, islands as trends, I think that was about 20 years ago. Uh, What are some of the new trends, or what are some of the new thoughts that are happening in kitchens that maybe some people aren't aware of right now? Uh, That's a great question. Um, As far as the layout, we've been pushing the envelope and trying to separate the work centers. We live a lot differently in our kitchens than we did uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago. I think about the families. Um, most of America was a uh, single working uh, parent. I'm going to interrupt you just for a second because on Instagram, 
I did that exactly. I posted Julia Child's kitchen, right? One of the most famous American chefs. Yeah. She's in this small little kitchen, That's right. right? And then I posted Bobby Flay's kitchen, which is this gorgeous, <laughs> big, beautiful kitchen. And I think that talks about the decade change or the decades of change in how we use and, and think of our kitchens. It, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, uh, please. It, it, it's, um, it's been so dramatic. And we see it, you know, in your families. My grandmother was the only one in the kitchen. So her little galley kitchen with a work triangle is important because it's just her walking around there. No one can come in there. It's a nightmare if you enter that space, right, when they're going to work. As time goes on, um, a lot of times you have both people in the couple working, um, less time with your children, and when gravitates towards the kitchen. A lot of times you find most couples, maybe they don't, cook together but they're involved someone cleans someone cooks someone preps um we need to create two cook kitchens and we need to create spaces for entertaining so sometimes you get three or four people in the kitchen so the more we space this kitchen out and create separate work areas and i think that's where we'll see a difference in kitchens from 10 20 years ago to today um a lot of times we'll place a refrigerator outside of the work area allows people to come in and out of the refrigerator where there's guests or children without coming into that sacred space in front of the range, in front of the sink. And the island helps us almost fence that area off um, visually. Having the stools on the back makes people gravitate there. Um, and you'll see a lot of times we talk about peninsulas, and there are times where peninsulas work really well. Well, let's just help everybody. So the difference between an island and a peninsula is a peninsula is that, think of Florida, right? right. It's attached to the cabinet and then it, it kind of makes a right turn angle. Exactly right. And yeah. it's not floating in the middle of the kitchen like an island would. Exactly okay. right. Um, in my own kitchen, we have a peninsula. We didn't have room for an island, mm. but it's organized in a way that still keeps people at bay. Um, most like U-shaped kitchens, but you'll see like a lot of homes built in the 70s, 80s, and 90s have these U-shaped peninsulas. They leave a lot of open space, and it begs people to come in and interrupt the cook or get in the way. So we're trying to keep these kitchens where we can keep um, the people who are not involved in the preparation of food outside of the space and looking in. I think that is incredible, valuable advice, this concept of two work station kitchens. I think that's something I will uh, take forward now, and I think that it's incredibly helpful, and it, it also it seems so timely, and, and it makes so much sense. Well, thank so you. that's brilliant. Great. Thank you so much. We got a little secret there from Anthony. Um, we talked about trends just now. What are some of the trade-offs, reasonable trade-offs, do you think, or, or perhaps, I guess, compromises that as the budget, as always, gets a little bit more than we want it to be, mm. where should we, if we had to think about it, pull back from? That's a great question. Um, if we're talking about cabinets themselves, there are a lot of different levels of cabinets. It's not always such a clear delineation when you think about it. A stock cabinet is something that's made already sitting on a shelf. Um, a semi-custom would be like a next price point up. And that's usually built to order, but with, it's within certain criteria, certain sizes, certain dimensions. Then you have custom, um, which is built to order, and it's whatever we can imagine it to be. Right. And the more we imagine, the more they charge us, but uh, unlimited flexibility. I'd say we can create an outstanding kitchen with any one of those levels. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I would do to save costs, if we're talking specifically about cabinetry, um, is to bump down a level. You'll still have a ton of choices. Yeah, you may not be able to pick a, a Sherman-Williams color um, or 
design a cabinet that's seven and three sixteenths wide, um, but I've rarely run into a space where that's necessary. And today, not a lot of the design is overly ornate, where we have a lot of carvings and uh, onlays like we Pretty used to get. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, late 90s, early 2000s, you get a lot of Tuscan feels with the uh, Ancathis onlays. We don't do that a lot, so we're not losing a lot. So that's the first place I'd save. Um, is go to a more basic cabinet. You'll still get a beautiful design, um, especially when you're working with a kitchen designer or interior designer, because you're going to get the same level of expertise, whether it's a $10,000 or $100,000 cabinet order. We may have to restrict some of your choices, but it's still going to be that we're still going to pour the same um, energy and attention into the layout. Terrific. What about pitfalls? Is there anything that we can uh, help people prevent in, in, as they go forward in designing their kitchens? Is there a, a classic people make this mistake over and over and over again? They speak to their friends too much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was at my sister's house the other day and she Sorry. did this. That, that I, I find to be the biggest impediment um, to them coming to something that makes them happy because their friends and their sisters may have had a different, they obviously had a different experience. They may have a different lifestyle. Um, they may have gone to uh, a, a more or less uh, astute designer, which really is going to change their perspective. So I think one of the hardest things is when you get outside perspectives. That's not to say that we should be the only one you listen to. Um, your architect, interior designer can be really um, helpful. Sometimes even contractors, though that's a little bit hairier. Um, so I'd say that's one of the biggest challenges in working out a really good design is having a lot of, uh, a lot of different input from different sources, um, not aligned. Um, another challenge is when you have clients who um, lived in the space for some time before the renovation, and they understand the way this kitchen flows. But sometimes they have a challenge, even though you know most designers will do a nice 3D rendering where they can see the space, um, they'll have a challenge seeing themselves living in it. So we've done a couple projects where we made a couple suggestions and um, the clients will defer to what they have now. And uh, each time after the kitchen's delivered, they said, you know what, we think you, we, we may have been down the right path. So th those are the two things I see that are the biggest challenges. Well, I think the big takeaway from that is too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, <laughs> I'm being very funny today. Um, I got cliches going everywhere. But um, it's always a problem. It's a problem in interior design. I think it's a problem in everything. Uh, have a trusted person. Certainly trust your interior designer. Certainly trust your architect. Just one quick comment about general contractors. I love them. I have great relationships with them. But they are your general contractor. They're not your designer, and nor should Absolutely. they be, right? Um, so be always be careful about Absolutely. that. So, hey, we are done, believe it or not. Right. But uh, we have a list of questions from our listeners. And so will you stick with me and we can answer some of those questions together? Absolutely. I'd love to. Terrific. Fantastic. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. conscious co-creator are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness i'm sam leibowitz your conscious consultant and on my show the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity we will touch upon all these topics and more listen live at our new time on thursdays at 12 noon eastern time that's the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity thursdays 12 noon on talkradio.nyc
Are you feeling unhappy with your body, shape, or size? Ever feel out of control with food? I'm Elizabeth Tripp, your host of Nourish the Soul. Join me to uncover the root to these imbalances and discover a permanent solution to living a healthy life. Join us every Wednesday at my new time, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on talkradio.nyc. TalkingAlternative.com Anthony, we're back with some questions from our listeners, okay. and I try not to look at them in, in, until we're at this point, but they can be tricky. I'm just warning you, All so right, cross see. your fingers and let's see what we have. So the first one, we're getting ready to sell our pre-war apartment, and the kitchen is pretty tired. Should I renovate to improve the resale margin? I'm biased. Yes. But Yes. Yes, um, you would be biased. Of though. course, you should. Of course, renovate, of course. renovate, renovate. Uh, you know, we work with a lot of families who are doing the same thing, and the advice they typically get from the realtors um, is this: they'll ask, "Should we refresh it? Maybe just paint the cabinets? Maybe do new countertops?" Um, the the feedback from the real estate professionals is that when you have the kitchen renovated, it's going to be on the market for a lot shorter time lower carrying cost for you um, and it's really going to shine in what maybe right now is not a really competitive market but eventually at some point will be and if you think about the people who are buying a home um, I guess it really depends on the, the size and, and cost of the home it, if they have to renovate the kitchen when they get in there that's coming out of pocket it's not like 2005, 2006 when you can get a 110% loan on the house you're buying and you're able to finance all that into a monthly payment. Um, so when someone's looking at your apartment and it needs new kitchens and needs new bathrooms, they have to consider not only do I have to buy this home, I need to pay uh, cash for these renovations. So having the kitchen renovated really makes it a lot easier to get more for your apartment. It'll sit on the market less. Um, again, I'm biased, but I think it's a really good investment. I'm, I'm always on the fence a little bit with this because I think, and this question seems to indicate to me that perhaps the full understanding of what a kitchen renovation is and the time and the effort and uh, the inconvenience of it all is uh, something to consider. Um, and also, and you would need to ask your broker, but also let's just pick a number. If you're going to spend $45,000, which in New York City would be very difficult to do, so let's say right. you know $75,000, are you going to get back the $75,000? And then finally, just because we have so many questions, you know, and then are you leaving a tired bathroom or are you right. leaving something else so think about it as the whole package and think about, Lord, why didn't you renovate it when you first moved in exactly and enjoy it. the kitchen? But I think your advice is worthwhile. And certainly in my world, a lot of realtors agree with you 100 percent. Right. Second question. Let's see. Um, oh, here another renovation question. Um, I'm preparing to renovate my kitchen. How do I get the best price from the contractor? 
Uh, uh, um, <laughs> if I knew. Well, so I think that's a general question yeah. in a lot of different areas. And I'll say really quickly, I think you have to be prepared, right? And you have to have a schedule. Like in, in the professional world, we create all these schedules, um, lighting schedules, electrical schedules, finish schedules, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The more you are prepared to know, the more decisions that are in the can, the more that the contractor can go forward and complete his work, the less it's going to cost you. And also, he's reading you from the very beginning. If you are unsure, if you are asking him for advice, if he thinks you're going to be difficult and change your mind a hundred times, his price is going up. I'm going to get tons of calls on that later today or tomorrow. <laughs> but I believe that 100%. Prepare, prepare, prepare. I give you two notes on that. Um, number one is we want the best price when the job is done, which isn't always the best quote up front. So finding a contract that we trust and we know is honest is going to be the best way to get a fair price for the kitchen or, or the renovation project in general. Number two, a contractor that's referred to you by someone you trust um, is always when you're working professional, the best way, a, a good professional is worried about the next job more than this job. So when you get a contractor referred by um, an interior designer, um, they have to do the right thing to keep that flow of work. So I think you'll get the most fair price by using a, a referral from someone you trust. Excellent. Hey, we didn't, and it's just occurring to me, didn't talk about countertops, and which is um, absolutely ridiculous on my part because in 26 years of being an interior designer, countertops have always been the major question, right? What's the best countertop? What's the ones that don't stain? What's the ones that are the easiest to clean, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you go ahead first, and then I have my opinions on top of that. Yeah. A, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we all um, pause. And yeah. we have this conversation uh, three times a day. Exactly. Um, it, it derails a design meeting. The What they'll advertise as the most durable surface are the man-made quartz surfaces. And they're very durable. They're non-porous. They're the lowest maintenance. Um, if you want your home to look like a showroom day in and day out, the man-made quartz, uh, some brands like Caesar Stone, Silestone, et cetera, are probably the, the best choice. Um, I think granite does a great job as dur for durability. Um, they tell you you should seal it once every year. It's really easy to do. It's hard to remember to do it. Um, but the right granites, uh, you, you, and you could, it doesn't have to be a polished finish. You could do a honed finish to a leathered finish. Um, I personally love marble for counters. A lot of people are concerned. I don't find that marble stains as much as most say. Um, marble will chip and scratch because it's soft, um, and it'll etch with acidity, uh, that's a bigger concern to me than the staining. Um, but marble is going to live, and marble is going to look, it's going to patina, and after, it'll never look like a showroom, but after a year or two, um, marble is going to look beautiful. It's going to look like it's been there 100 years. It's a really nice material. I, too, am a big marble fan. I, I just think marble in a kitchen is incredibly luxurious. Absolutely. And incredibly beautiful, and all of those things. Um, you know, marble, for some reason, wants to be used it wants to be worked on and it right. it almost looks better i would say patinaed right yeah. that it that there you can see the development of the age and the quality of the work that's upon it the etching is the biggest problem of course i had a kid who uh put a half a lemon <laughs> on 
on the marble countertop and left it overnight. Naturally. And uh, you can still see that to this day. Um, but, uh, you know, with anything, blueberries, red wine, uh, even quartz, you've got to clean it up. Absolutely. I mean, you know, maybe quartz, you can leave it for four or five hours. Marble, you know, four or five minutes. But you still have to clean up. Uh, something that has a potential risk of staining your countertop. Yeah, absolutely. My clients will ask me, um, you know, the, the man-made course, they advertise as heat-proof, scratch-proof. They'll ask me, can I take a hot pan off and put it on there? Don't. I gave you a drawer for trivets so we could put something down. Exactly. Um, yeah, just run a sponge over before you go to bed and everything will be fine. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's what you like and, yeah. and, and, and uh, what ultimately is aesthetically pleasing. But there is this almost nervousness about choosing the right countertop. Right. And, um, and I just don't think there has to be. Use your kitchen, love your kitchen, and, and let it patina and grow. I, again, about marble, I think the classic marble, Carrera, mm-hmm. which I call the French pastry marble. Yeah. If, you know, if you've ever been to Paris or France and, you know, you've walked into one of those great bakeries. Every bar. Yeah, every everybody bar. has it, and there's something just absolutely uh, beautiful about it. So um, not a bad choice. Uh, the next question, which is interesting because it ties into countertops, is, is it a new trend to have the backsplash be the same material as the countertop? Interestingly enough, I don't think it's a new trend, but it's a common practice. We're seeing more of it now. Um, it's not a new trend. It's been going on for uh, decades and generations. It's an expensive choice. Because countertop material is typically quite a bit more. A lot more square footage cost. Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder if that's a statement on... Um, the economy 10 years ago versus where we are today. Could be. Question, very good thought. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a, it, in the right space, it's beautiful. It is beautiful because, again, Anthony and I will, and we talked about it earlier, but we'll always talk about what is the focus of your kitchen. And I feel a lot of times that people find that backsplash is a place for jewelry and for fun, and I just disagree with that 100%. It's just not. It is a surface that needs to be clean and ultimately needs to kind of go away and make the focus of the kitchen something else, the lighting, where the range is, the beautiful island. But backsplashes, to me, should just sort of step aside. Right. And the the right design. I agree with you. Um, Especially when we crowd a lot of elements in these kitchens. A lot of elements. And it's another one that really sometimes takes away the focus where we want it. And a lot of times I think that they... um, Yeah, they just don't seem like they feel right. I'd much rather put a lot more money into cabinet hardware and make better choices that way, make better choices on the real focal point than not. Listen, I'm telling you, we are so out of time. I could have you here two or three more times. I can't thank you enough. Oh, pleasure. It was, a, it was a real joy. I want everybody to look at Anthony's website. He's an outstanding kitchen designer. He has a wonderful company, East Hill Cabinetry. Dot com. You're in White Plains, but you have no problem coming to New York City All the time. to do work. So I know that to be true. I want to thank everybody here at Talk Radio, Schoolhouse Number no. 6 Productions. I say it every week. I couldn't do it without you. I wouldn't even want to try. Benjamin Keegan for my incredible theme music. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at 
home with DTI. That's at home with DTI. Remember to take a look at my website, davidthirgardnerinteriors.com. That's I before E, interiors.com. Stay tuned for the Noreen Sumter Show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way. And until next week on the radio, remember the best designs for your life start at home. There's a lady living somewhere Where it is, I do not know But I long to write and tell her That I love her so I believe I might do mayhem Yes, I might destroy myself If I ever found her missing from my grocer's shelf Sarah Lee Sarah Lee Your brioche just fractures me Give me a taste of your cherry You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, the Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Are you into comics, movies, and pop culture at large? What about music and TV? Then you're in for a treat. This is Michael Dolce, your host on TalkingAlternative.com. I've been professionally writing comic books, screenplays, and music articles for almost 15 years. Catch my show, Secrets of the Sire, at its new primetime slot, Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and get the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. For more info, go to SecretsOfTheSire.com. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 